Uh, please do turn in, in your Bibles to Second Thessalonians. Um, I really should check my PowerPoint before I send it, send it in more carefully. That does say Second Thessalonians. Um, so please do turn with me to 1190. 1190 in the Pew Bible. We're going to read uh, verses 1 to 5, and this is God's Word, and so we can trust it completely. As for all our matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith, but the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you're doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Amen. In all sorts of areas of life, don't we long for progress and resources in, in education and healthcare and the cost of living. Uh, as a Liverpool football fan, I just want some progress in, 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 my, in seeing some good results this year compared to last year. In all sorts of areas of life, we want to see progress. But to the same extent, do we long to see people believe and trust in Jesus? Uh, do we long to be made increasingly like Jesus? In other words, do we long for gospel-centered progress? In Second Thessalonians, for the church, and instead of gospel-centered progress, they're, they're getting a hard time. It's increasingly hard to follow Jesus. Uh, there's also some confusion over what's true and, and what's not. And there's some people in the church, and, and they're just not that concerned with honoring Jesus in the way they live. And really, these are issues that we rub up against as a church too. We, we face opposition. It's hard to follow Jesus. We can be confused about what's true and what's not. We're bombarded with all sorts of different messages, all claiming to be true. And let's face it, we're sinners, and, and disobedience is a problem within our hearts too. And here's the thing, if we long for gospel-centered progress, and, and, and let's assume that as Christians we really do, these sorts of issues can derail that progress. And so what do we do? Let's face it, our world is a gospel-hating, God-rejecting, confusing place. And so what do we do when we long for this gospel-centered progress? I think we need to know who God is and what to pray for. And so firstly, who God is, know the Lord is faithful. Know the Lord is faithful. If you were here last week, I'm, I'm sure you heard a little bit about the struggles believers face in, in other parts of the world. And, and relatively speaking, we, we get it easy. And yet, no matter where we live, the end of verse 2 reminds us, not all have faith. And as a result, the church is opposed. We are opposed. For many, our, our faith is not just untrue and irrelevant, but it's dangerous. It clashes with identity politics. It suppresses ways in which individuals choose to express themselves. And as a result, we face mockery for following Jesus, uh, pity for attending church, and rejection when we invite people along. The church is opposed. 
But will God protect us and remain committed to us? Or when the church is hard-pressed, perhaps the better question is, who is God? Because yes, in all sorts of places, in all, all over the world, the church is opposed, but we're to know the Lord is faithful. At the end of verse 2, not all have faith, but verse 3, the Lord is faithful. He's committed to his people, his plans and purposes. He's true to his word. This is who God is. And as we live in a world like this, we need an understanding of who God is. The Lord is faithful. But what does that mean when missionaries are opposed, when people start distancing themselves from you? Remember these words, but the Lord is faithful. And then according to verse 3, he will strengthen and protect us uh, from whatever trials the evil one may send our way. Notice the ultimate source behind all the opposition is the evil one. We're in this battle. And even though we enjoy no social power and we're very weak, we have a faithful Lord who will defend and protect us. The Lord will protect his church. The Lord Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. No, the Lord is faithful. He will keep us. And more than that, according to verse four, Paul is, is confident that they will keep on moving forward. He's confident about the, Thessalonian, uh, the, fa- the, the church in Thessalonica. He's confident about their obedience, if you like, their spiritual progress. But notice where his confidence lies. His confidence is in the Lord, the Lord who is faithful, not in broken and imperfect people, but in the Lord. That's where Paul had said that I'm sure this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. No, the Lord is faithful. He will complete what he started, started in us. He will transform us into the likeness of Jesus. It's true that the world would have us believe that the future doesn't look good for the church. And, and it's true, sometimes it's hard to live for Jesus. And And therefore we might ask, is it possible for there to be spiritual or gospel-centered progress in this world? Is it possible to to reach people with the good news of the gospel? In today's world, can I keep on living for Jesus? And by way of answer, we've got to first of all remember who God is, that the Lord is faithful. He's committed to building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's committed to to bring into completion the work he has started in us. And so even when the the church is hard-pressed and even though it's full of weak and imperfect people like us, still the Lord is committed to what he's doing. No, the Lord is faithful. And here's the thing, knowing the Lord is faithful, then we can pray, we can turn to pray with real confidence. But what do we pray for? Our text encourages us to pray for mission. Simon Barrington Ward, the former Bishop of Coventry, he once said that prayer is, the, is, is, prayer is that an apparently useless activity without which all activities are useless. In other words, uh, to the world, it looks like a, a waste of time, but we know that everything is a waste of time without prayer. And that's especially true, isn't it, when it comes to mission. Our world has rejected Jesus, and, and we must show people that the gospel is relevant and true. We must speak words, but most of all, we've got to pray. We're unable to change hearts and minds. And therefore, verse 1, we're to pray that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly or speed ahead, 
Think of a, a news headline spreading rapidly right across the world, going viral, or that picture that we thought about before, an Olympic sprinter sprinting ahead of their rivals. That's what we're to be our prayer, that the gospel sprints ahead of its rival messages. But notice this, we're not just to pray for a quantity of gospel preaching. We're to pray that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored. We've got to pray for an appropriate response. So pray that the gospel may be preached and honored. Pray for the ministry of this church and pray for this area. Pray for mission. And can I suggest maybe a couple of things that, that we could do as a church family this week? And perhaps uh, you could sign up for a PCI prayer points. It's called Let's Pray. You'll find it online. And that might be a way that you might find useful to pray for mission both near and far. Or maybe if you've got children, uh, it would be an opportunity maybe this week to, to pick a country in the world with your, with your kids and to learn about that place and the church in that place and to pray for mission in that country. Or perhaps we could all pick seven roads or housing developments or housing estates near where we live, one for each day, and to pray for the people that live in that place. We need to be committed to praying for our family and friends, our work colleagues and neighbours. And what should we pray? Well, maybe a good place to start this week are these verses. We've got to be praying for mission and we've got to keep praying I was seeing Augustine who said that it was his mother's resilience and dedication to prayer that led him to become the man of God that he was. Uh, for years, Augustine had no interest in God and the church and was so far off, but his, his mother was dedicated in prayer and kept on praying for 17 years before his conversion. And I'm sure many of us could share similar stories of people we know or, or maybe even our own stories we were far off from God and, and from his church. We had no interest, but people persisted in prayer and we came to know and love the Lord Jesus. We've got to be praying and keep praying. And part of this involves praying for those in gospel ministries. At verse two, Paul says, and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not everyone has, has faith. Uh, Paul is, 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 desires prayer because his ministry is opposed he says, not all have faith, and we need to be realistic. And therefore, in praying for the gospel to make progress in a world that opposes our, our mission, that we need to be praying for those that are serving in gospel ministries too. And so let's pray for missionaries that have been sent out across our, our world. Uh, and, and I know I would covet your prayers too, as I'm sure William would. We, we need your prayer and, and also to be praying for one another as each of us have different roles in church, serving in different gospel ministries, to be praying for one another as we serve. To be clear, Paul doesn't encourage us, encourage us to pray for an easy time, but rather he wants strength and deliverance to keep on serving and, and that's what we need to be praying for one another. We need to be praying for those serving in gospel ministries if the word of the Lord is to be honored, those who serve him need prayer too. And so let's be praying for mission. But that's not all we're to pray for. We're not just to pray for the world out there, but finally, we're also to pray for our own hearts. It's true, we face opposition and sometimes there's nothing we can do about that. And yet sometimes, if we're honest, we invite hostility on ourselves in the way that we live. Uh, sometimes we're judgmental, we 
self-righteously point out and shout loudly about the sins of others. Uh, Sometimes we're hypocritical. We're not always good at practicing what we preach. Often we're unconcerned and unloving as we argue about trivial matters while ordinary people suffer around us. Sometimes we invite hostility on ourselves in the way that we live. And so we've got to be praying for our own hearts too. Verse five, Paul says, may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. We're to pray for our hearts. And I think this prayer in verse five is connected to verse four. It's, it's the next thing that comes along. And, and Paul indicates in verse four that his confidence is in the Lord. He indicates that they will keep on doing what he's com- commanded them. In other words, they will walk in obedience and the Lord's word will be honored among them. And then in verse five, I think this is a prayer that this really will take place. It's a prayer for the heart because when our hearts move in the right direction, our lives will follow. We sometimes think that uh, obedience is a little bit like hitting a a dartboard. Uh, It's like throwing a a dart at a dartboard and and sometimes we miss the target. But if if we try again, if we get rid of all of the distractions, if we concentrate more, if we keep on practicing and we keep on throwing, well, well, maybe we'll hit the target the next time. But actually our hearts can't be trained in that way. And they need to be brought under control and, and only God can do it. There's five. Paul says, may the Lord direct your hearts. And this is a prayer for God to take our hearts, our deepest desires and emotions and direct them in a, in a Godward direction. Because so often our hearts are pulled in different directions away from God and what pleases him. But may the Lord direct our hearts. Because when our hearts move in the right direction, then our lives will follow. But what direction is the right direction? Well, verse five says, may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. First, he says, may your hearts be directed into God's love. It's only when we're captivated by God's love for us, only then will our lives move in the right direction and we honor God. But the problem for us is that that so often we doubt God's love for us. We believe the gospel, but for a whole host of reasons, we struggle to believe that God really, really loves us. And as a result, we often go out into the world and, and when we become hard-pressed, any little resolve that we have to live for Jesus, it becomes squeezed out of us. Yes, we want to live for Jesus, but, but when we haven't grasped God's love for us and become captivated by it, we go out into the world unarmed and we get pushed around and knocked down and we struggle to get ourselves back up. So what is God's love for us like? It's so steady and settled, dependable and never fading, unconditional. You're more loved than, than, than we can imagine. And in today's world, as we try to live for Jesus, may our hearts be directed towards this love God has for us. And the second thing we need our hearts directed towards is Christ's perseverance. As we live for Jesus, may our hearts be directed towards Christ's perseverance for us. In a sense, God says to us through his words, and my son has already persevered for you through suffering, mockery, hurt and pain and rejection, torture and ultimately death. He's persevered through it all and all for you. 
And when I ask you to persevere in this world, I want, to, I want you to remember what my son has done for you. And here's the thing. If we can begin to grasp God's love for us and Christ's perseverance, it will change our perception of life. For example, when we're rejected by people we really want to be accepted by, it'll change how we, we deal with that rejection. When our hearts are set on God's ever welcoming and unconditional love and Christ's perseverance through the most severe rejection. Or for example, when it costs us daily or dearly to, to follow Jesus, we'll handle that cost differently when our hearts are set on God's costly love for us and Christ's perseverance through poverty and death. Do you see how it'll make a difference when our hearts are set on these things? As we live in this world, how much of a difference will it make if we're captivated by God's love for us and how much more Christ has went through for us? And so let's pray for our own hearts. We want the, the word to be honored in our worlds. And so we wanna pray for mission, but we also wanna see God's word honored among us. And so we need to pray for our own hearts that we keep living for Jesus no matter how hard it gets. And so we wanna pray for our own hearts. But perhaps you're here this morning and, and you're not yet a Christian and your heart is, is set on all our things, that promotion or, or, or set on being loved and, and accepted, whatever it is that you set your heart on, whatever it is you desire most and think most about and long for most of all, whatever it is you set your heart on, does it sometimes unsatisfy you and fail you? and leave you disappointed. Because can I encourage you this morning that, that our faithful God that we're speaking about, that we're reading about in God's words, he never disappoints us. In love, Jesus has loved us and, and took the punishment we deserve for our imperfect lives. He's loved us and persevered through death and through suffering and death so that we could experience life and glory that will never disappoint. This faithful Lord never lets us down. And so can I encourage you to come to him this morning? And maybe for us as a, as a church, we need this reminder too, because after all, we, we wanna see things move forward. We wanna see gospel-centered progress. And, and sometimes as we leave here and go to wherever it leads us throughout the week, sometimes it can feel like it's getting harder. But here we're to remember that the Lord is faithful. He'll remain committed to us, he'll keep us. He'll be faithful to the ministry of his word. He'll be faithful to his church. And so when we're under pressure, no, knowing who God is, let's be stirred to pray. Whatever we face as a church, whatever ministry we, we enter, that may our confidence be in the Lord alone, our faithful God. And so let's be praying for mission and praying for our own hearts. Let's do that now. Let's pray. Our faithful God, we adore you for you are faithful to your church. Uh, sometimes we can despair 
Uh, but we thank you for your words, uh, for it reminds us that you are faithful and you will keep your people. You will per- preserve a people for yourself. You will continue to build your church. You will remain committed to the ministry of your word. And so to that end, we pray that you, your word may spread rapidly and be honored. We plead for the gospel to spread to the ends of the earth. We plead for the people we know and love that they would come to know and love you as their king and savior but we also ask for our own hearts. We know that our hearts are so often pulled in various directions, that so often our love for you is little and our love for all our things is greater. And so we ask that you would take our hearts and may they be captivated by your love for us. May they be warmed this morning by Christ's perseverance for us. Take our hearts and shape them in the way that you would desire. Make them more like Jesus and strengthen our hearts so that we live for you and honour you through good and bad, knowing that all things come about by your fatherly hand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.